0: तव कथा अमृतम् तप्त Sravana Mangalam, Srimadatatam, Bhuvigranantiye, Bhuridhajana. So the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, the Master and Disciple, page 79. We will continue from the portion which uh, we have just left in the last class. We will read that portion which we just studied, which we just read, and uh, go for the discussion. So we find that uh, that M is there the author of the Gospel M, he is in presence of Ramakrishna and Ramakrishna is asking him some questions, personal questions. And we found that how Sri Ramakrishna is reacting to it and it surprises us. So let us go through it and we will find that actually he was reacting in that vehement manner Because he saw some good signs in him that his life was meant for fully dedicating to the spiritual sojourn. He had a special role to play. For that, Ramakrishna just seeing him understood that. And so he wanted that his life should be exclusively for the spiritual endeavor. But when he found that he was married, so he shuddered. So let us read that portion and then we will go to the discussion. Sri Ramakrishna, uh, sorry. Sri Ramakrishna, are you married? M, yes, sir. Sri Ramakrishna with a shudder. Oh, Ramlal, alas, alas, he is married. Like one guilty of a terrible offense, M sat motionless, his eyes fixed on the ground. He thought, Is it such a wicked thing to get married? The master continued. Have you any children? M this time could hear the beating of his own heart. He whispered in a trembling voice. Yes, sir, I have children. Very sadly, Sri Ramakrishna said, Ah, me. He even has children. Thus rebuked, M sat speechless. His pride had received a blow. After a few minutes, Sri Ramakrishna looked at him kindly and said affectionately, You see, you have certain good signs. I know them by looking at a person's forehead, his eyes and so on. Tell me now, what kind of person is your wife? We will come to that portion uh, later. Just here we find that Ramakrishna is not actually discouraging Uh, anyone to become householder. He found some special traits. Ramakrishna had that special capacity. Just by seeing a person, by seeing certain physical traits, he could easily find out, as if scan the person's psychology and find out the bent of his mind. He found that Master Mahasaya M had a spiritual bent of life. And he immediately identified him to to be someone of his circle who is going to be a part of his mission. So naturally he wanted that he should be a person of exclusive, uh, who can uh, devote his life exclusively for the spiritual endeavor. So that's why it's a very specific thing for Master Mahasaya. So we shouldn't, uh, from this statement, from this conversation, we shouldn't judge Ramakrishna as if aversive to marriage. As he used to say, that since someone asked Ramakrishna, is uh, marrying something uh, uh, that, that you advise these young ones not to marry, that is marriage something uh, n- not the plan of the God? And Sri Ramakrishna immediately used to say, have you understood that the entire the plan of the divine, that you are asking that way? So the main intention is what there? That Swami Vivekananda used to say very nicely that there should be a few whose life should be the sacrifice for the entire humanity. There should be a few who have that bent for the spiritual bent who leads the life exclusively for the spiritual endeavor. To give an example, in engineering, courses in engineering college, there are so many branches. One of the branches is the computer science. You have electronics, electrical, mechanical, nowadays so many, this instrumentation, so many branches, civil engineering, architecture. But nowadays we find the application without the computer application, we can never think of a single engineering branch. What to speak of engineering, even in any professional course, you go to the medical course that, To certain extent, computer literacy is must. You have to have a know-how for any course you pursue. Then the question comes, then if all the courses have the computer application, what's the need for a separate branch for computer? That we all know that it is required that unless there's a separate branch for computer science, we cannot think of the further research on those lines that the more a few person are the persons are there to just sub, to study just the computer science and go on endeavoring to develop it more and more more and more advancement is there in that subject then only i can think of its application in all branches so similarly in spiritual life there has to be some who leads this life exclusively we find from the history of this, the spiritual history that there are in all the religions, the prophets, the divine incarnations, who devoted their entire life for the spiritual pursuit. What to speak of divine incarnations? Even there are so many mystics, monks, whose life was meant only for this spiritual pursuit. Why? Because the revelations which come out from those lives, That's going to benefit the entire humanity. We all, whenever as a householder, a person has to resort to the spiritual journey, of course, you will find that he or she is taking this resort. What is this recluse? Is taking uh, is going and taking the help of someone who has devoted his life entirely for the spiritual pursuits. Because from their revelations, it's just like an application. Then only we can think of applying it in our day-to-day life. As still we remember that, the, that's when someone asked a Swami, a senior Swami, that can there be not any? Uh, that's this. Can we not practice spirituality while leading a householder's life? What is the need to become a monk? So he gave a very nice answer. That young boy was just a teenager. His beard and the thing, this mustache was just coming. They were just coming out. So he, the Swami for just very jokingly asked, have you started shaving? So he told, yeah, I have started shaving. And then the Swami asked him, the blade which you used for shaving, do you use for cutting your pencil? Can you use it for any other purpose? No, I cannot because I need the sharpness of that blade Sh- for the p- purpose of shaving. So Swamiji told, yes, similarly, if you uh, just simply uh, waste your energy or divert your energy in thousands of pursuits, how can you have the sharpness to lead an exclusively spiritual life? It is required, those who take this as a path, that the sharpness which we need of our intellect, the Purity of purpose, which we need. For that, that exclusiveness is something very essential. And Ramakrishna could identify. It's not that for everyone he had that same message. Throughout the gospel, we find that it is actually a scripture for the householders. So his message is of course there for the householders. But in aim, he found that he has those traits for that exclusive spiritual life. But somehow a, he got married, he had children. So naturally, he cannot just give his entire focus on this spiritual journey and that's why Sri Ramakrishna is repenting. Uh, and then what he's asking, the next question is very interesting. Tell me now, what kind of person is your wife? Has she spiritual attributes or is she under the power of avidya? Avidya means ignorance. Now, M had the notion that anyone who has no academic knowledge, anyone who is not literate, one who is illiterate, is ajnana So in that sense, his wife had no formal education. His wife as such was not literate. So his answer, M's answer is, she's all right. She's a very nice person. She's all right, but I'm afraid she's ignorant. And immediately again, we find the master rebuking. Was a master with evident displeasure and you are a man of knowledge? There's the next immediate question. Are you a man of knowledge? So AIM had yet to learn the distinction between knowledge and ignorance. Up to this time, his conception had been that one got knowledge from books and schools. Later on, he gave up this false notion. He was taught that to know God is knowledge and not to know Him is ignorance. When Sri Ramakrishna exclaimed, and are you a man of knowledge? M's ego was again badly shocked. So this is a very interesting thing. To know God is knowledge. To not to know God is ignorance. See, we use the word nirakshara, for the one who is illiterate, but very interesting in Sanskrit, the word akshara means that which is undecaying, unperishable. Kshara means that which is decaying. So actually, the one who has known the Lord has known the nirakshara. The one who is this the, the has the one who is uh, uh, what he has known the akshara. The one who is without, beyond the. Uh, what's all sorts of decay, all sorts of death? There is no death, no decay in the in Ishvara, in God. God is ever existent. So the one who has known the Akshara, how can he be Nirakshara? Akshara means uh, the one, the Lord, the one who is undecaying. So that way we find that is is wonderful that uh, irony in our language. The one who knows God, if he is uh, illiterate, we still say him nirakshara. So he is actually the one who is the real. He has known the akshara. How can he be the nirakshara? So that's why Sri Ramakrishna gave that indication that knowing God is knowledge, not knowing God is ignorance. That's the basic thing. Basic thing in Sanskrit in Mundaka Upanishad we find that the knowledge has been distinguished as Paravidya and Aparavidya. Para means the highest knowledge and lower knowledge, higher knowledge and lower knowledge. What is lower knowledge? All the so-called academic knowledge, all our subjects are considered to be the lower knowledge. Paravidya yat aksharam adhigamyate. Very nicely, Bundaka is mentioned, the knowledge by which we can know the akshar. So that's the knowledge which Sri Ramakrishna is speaking of. So are you the one who have the knowledge? So that's the thing she's indicating. That don't think yourself to be learned just because you have learned a few books. That's the idea master had. And that's how we find his ego is shattered once more. So we find that here we find that as if there's a series of battering going on. Master Mahashay later on, aim later on uh, reflected on it. That he was annihilating my ego. What was the need to annihilate ego in such a drastic way? Because Ramakrishna identified him as the one who is going to be the recorder of his words. So ego becomes a very detrimental factor in recording. Because as long as you have the ego, your own opinion, your own biases is going to tarnish the word of God, the gospel. It is bound to tarnish. So master once have identified, immediately he took it to point to batter his ego, once for all, so that he becomes total humble enough to record the master's words, totally unturnished. In the history of spiritual literature, the gospel is unique, where we find that the a, uh, words of the Prophet is in no way tarnished. It has been just uh, written down, just the way it came out from his lips. From that's why it's the Kathamrita. Uh, this Amrita means which is nectar. Katha means the words. This nectar-like words were in no way tarnished, and for that Ramakrishna is making it sure that ego has to be battered, It has to be annihilated once for all, and then only the. Words can be recorded in a pure form. And that's what that process is going on. So again, he found his ego has been shattered. The master who is all compassionate, we find this first meeting is something which is quite uh, contrary to the way he used to behave with the devotees. He We never find him as a very hard task master, a very sweet person personality, ever compassionate. But in certain occasions, we find him to be quite rude enough. That apparent rudeness is to discipline his disciple. The disciple word came from discipline. The one who is disciplined is disciple. And that's the process which is going on. To make him the proper disciple, the disciplining process is going on. Master, the next question. Still, it is uh, still uh, the uh, shattering, the battering of the ego is still left still more questions are coming and what the master replies on that is here. master still has to wait for the rebuke which comes from Sri Ramakrishna. Master, well, do you believe in God with form or without form? M rather surprised said to himself, how can one believe in God without form when one believes in God with form? And if one believes in God without form, how can one believe that god has a form can these two contradictory ideas be true at the same time can a white liquid like milk be black so aim from the being from an academic background we find he is quite habituated to answer the multiple choice questions either yes or no either a or b how can a thing which is dark be white. A thing which is formless can have form. So he was a bit puzzled when the master said that. Uh, well, do you have belief in God with form or without form? It's not the question of belief. God should be either with form or without form. So, however, he was taken aback by such a question. But his reply was, "Sir, I like to think of God as formless." So he kept the answer very very short cryptic. But the master immediately uh, just responded to his answer. Very good. It is enough to have faith in either aspect. You believe in God without form, that is quite all right. But never for a moment think that this alone is true and all else is false. Remember, That God with form is just as true as God without form. But hold fast to your own conviction. Very nice. So, Ramakrishna is saying that both are true. It's very interesting. Uh, The Advaitin will say that all notions of God are your mental notions, they are not God. Advaitin will say, all Notions of God are God. How? Because God is finding expression through that notion. If everything is God, through that notion, He's finding expression. And the more you are pure, He, His, the way He finds expression through your notion is more clearer. As Swami Vivekananda has very nicely defined God. What God is the highest. Manifest this highest expression, highest manifestation of the absolute. The absolute is manifesting as the entire world. But we find that manifestation palpably visible in the pure mind, in Shuddha mind. So, when the Advaitin says that God is just a, when you just have a notion of God that cannot be God because it is your notion, the Advaitin will say, When you have a notion of God that is God because God is finding expression through that notion. You cannot limit God. I cannot simply limit God by saying God is this and God is not that. If God has projected himself as the entire universe, how come he cannot manifest himself through the image? Is the image bereft of the divinity? If the divinity is everywhere, then it is me or my belief which is restricting the divinity in that image as if he is everywhere apart from that image. So everywhere that God can be worshipped without form and at the same time when I take that the idea that God is expressing himself as this entire world as in the Bhagavad Gita it has been mentioned as the vibhuti then anything Uh, In anything, I can see the manifestation of divine. And in that form, I can, of course, worship. So Sri Ramakrishna, just in a very nice way, he's just saying that very good. It is enough to have faith in either aspect. You believe in God without form. That is quite all right. But never for a moment think that this alone is true and all else false. Remember that God with form is just as true as God without form but hold fast to your own conviction. So after all, when you say God without form, that is also a notion. If I really speak of notion, when I say God is without form, that is also a notion. In some other place, Sri Ramakrishna is giving a very nice example. That's in the olden days, nowadays of course of the digital watch, Our all times almost tally. In the olden days, that hand, uh, you know, that there's... the watch with you has to adjust the time with your hand all those hand uh, 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 adjustable watch so there you will find in uh, olden days no one's watch time will tally with the others everyone has one or two minute difference but Sri Ramakrishna is saying that all the your household activity all the school college university your all the places of uh, this, uh, the profession, your hospital, everything is running quite properly, though no one's watch tallies. So he's saying that as per the faith is concerned, no one's faith is correct. Even the one who says that God cannot be conceived, he's formless, that also is a notion. Everything is a notion. If I say God is Avang Manasa Gocharam, then I have to myself go beyond the mind to realize that God, as long as I am saying that God is without form, that also is a notion. So these notions, all the notions are correct. They are okay. If you intensely believe in it and start practicing. What Sri Ramakrishna is saying is wonderful. In some other place, you will find Ramakrishna will say a wonderful thing that a person, a very simple person, went to one who was a guru, a was this who is to initiate people so he this simple person went to the uh, so-called guru and asked for a mantra. the guru finding this person to be uh, quite coarse uh, he thought that he has of uh, he has no such trait for spiritual progress he repeated some useless words to him but this person that had total faith he took that as the mantra spoken by the guru, given by the delivered by the guru, he resorted to it. And he went on doing his spiritual practice based on that mantra. And he became, became realized. What's the idea? All the notions are just notions. They are not God. But when I hold on to it with full faith, and I practice, it immediately entails a psychological programming. What's that programming? The very simple, all the spiritual journey, we start with a notion. Today's imagination becomes tomorrow's realization. How it happens? I start with a notion. That notion has nothing to do with the real God or real spirituality. It has nothing to do. However, refined may be my idea of the divinity. Still, it's a notion. But when I believe it with full uh, steadfastness and start my spiritual journey, my mind is becoming ekavritti. My mind is getting focused in that notion that is helping me to get rid of all other notions. My mind is becoming ekavritti, the bahuvritti is falling off. And what happens then as this becomes a habitual state, this ekavritti? At last, the more the mind is focused, it helps us to go beyond the ego. The concept of Samadhi, you will understand how that the more the mind is focused, the more the other distractions falls off. In our day-to-day life, we find the more the mind is focused, the more the other distractions falls off. When I'm watching the news in the TV intently, someone calls, I don't hear. Why? As the mind has been taken away by the, totally taken by the uh, program, by the news, which is being read in the uh, TV, which is being the news, which is uh, the channel, which is on, on that my mind is so focused, though the sound is entering my ear, it doesn't get connected to my mind. So the more the mind is focused, the other distractions falls off. You will find that one who is very passionate about this classical singing or playing uh, this uh, uh, musical instruments, you will find they get so focused that for hours they can be just... uh, engaged in what they're doing they forget hunger they forget thirst they forget tiredness the painter may be painting throughout the night how it happens they enter in the modern psychology they call they have entered into a state of flow when they're so much focused in the thing which they like all other things have fallen off even the bodily alarms is the body's alarm system which finds expression in the form of hunger thirst tiredness we have a biological clock with the alarm the alarm sets in and as we a part of our mind is always uh, attached to our body we immediately feel the hunger the thirst but when you get extremely focused the mind even doesn't have the capacity to take care of your bodily needs the, the focus has taken away even The attention from your bodily needs. It is so focused. At last, what happens, whatever may be your belief, it can lead to Samadhi if you are highly focused to your idea with full faith, with full devotion. How? The Samadhi has been defined in our scripture as a state where you become one with the object of meditation. The triad of Dhyana, Dhyata, Dhyaya, the one who is meditating, the object of meditation, and the process of meditation. This has collapsed. How it has happened? That even when my mind is extremely focused, the last thing to go away is the ego. I have the idea that I am meditating. A part of my mind always is taking care of my limited sense of this individuality. It is always there. It is like just the body When you are just uh, not spending any energy, you are lying down, still the body expends some energy. They call it BMR, basal metabolic rate, to run your heart, to run your lungs, all those functions, some energy is required. Similarly, to keep your psychophysical individuality intact, a part of your mind, the basal part of your mind is always there to take care of ego. It never leaves us. In this meditation, which has become extremely focused, at last, that small bit of your mind, which is always there to take care of ego, that is also taken away by your object of meditation. And what happens immediately, you become one with your object of meditation. Whatever will be the object of meditation. And the moment you become one with the object of your meditation, what has happened? The mind has fallen off for the time being. The moment the ego falls off, you have gone beyond the mind. So what your beliefs are not important, any belief can take you to that state and the moment that happens, immediately you go to the realization which cannot be spoken. Your mind has fallen off, the prism which was breaking the sun rays into the spectrum that has fallen off, all the spectrum have merged in the light. It takes you to a sense, wonderful sense of unitary experience. If you are a devotee of Krishna, you may see Krishna everywhere. The one who is uh, practicing Advaita, that I am Brahman. It may lead to the realization of that amnes which is non-local. And the devotee will see the Krishna everywhere. But the idea is that what object of meditation has become something non-local. Because the sense of locality comes from your ego. That's why Sri Ramakrishna very nicely in the gospel in some other place, when someone asked him uh, that, Ami mukto hava when shall I be free? Ramakrishna's answer was, Ami jabe jabe. Ami in a, Ramakrishna was a master in playing with words. That same, that Ami, when shall I be free? His answer was, when I cease to be. When when shall I be free? When I cease to be that I is the only cause of bondage. So that's why what Sri Ramakrishna is saying is very important. Just these few words, but you will find that you may believe whatever with form, without form, nothing uh, uh, as such is going to be detrimental for your spiritual journey. But what is needed is but hold fast to your own conviction. That's the important thing. That just that uh, note, do not uh, make point that with my conviction, I will be using my conviction to uh, defeat others, to constantly quarrel with others by justifying that my conviction is correct, yours is wrong. That is not, in no way going to lead us anywhere. As Swami Vivekananda used to say very nicely, the problem with the fanatics, that this is a type of fanatism who says that my way of belief is right, yours is wrong. The problem with the fanatic Swamiji is to criticize in a very strong language. He used to say, you know, the, what is the problem with the fanatics? Their condition is even worse than the canine instinct. Canine instinct means that of the dog. Swamiji is using a very uh, furnished language because he cannot just say that a fanatics condition is worse than a dog. So he's using it in a very uh, packed, uh, what is a nice, nicely presentable way. There's canine instinct. Uh, that his condition is worse than a canine instinct. Why? Then he's giving that very nice example. The dog recognizes its master in whatever dress, in whatever makeup he may be. But the fanatics never recognize their master once he changes his dress. <laughs> so the once he comes in a different package, different format, he just starts howling at his own master. So fanatics condition is worse even than the canine instinct, the dogs, how nicely Swami is saying. So here we find that the same idea is being how nicely being indicated by Sri Ramakrishna, that hold fast onto your own conviction. But Master M is yet to understand what Rasta is saying. So the assertion that both are equally true amassed him. He had never learned this from his books. Thus his ego received a third blow. But since it was not yet completely crushed, he came forward to argue with the master a little more. M. Sir, suppose one believes in God with form. Certainly he is not the clay image. Master interrupting. But why clay? It is an image of spirit. So that's the idea in our scriptures. Wonderful idea. Archavataram. That God is manifesting himself in the entire creation. But he manifests more, his manifestation, just the way sun's reflection is on the turgid water, is on a metal plate, is on some uh, reflecting glass full of dirt, and is also on a reflecting glass which is clean. But where I find the reflection more prominent, in the clean glass. So similarly, God is everywhere, but he some, in some places his reflection is more His reflection is more in a realized soul, in one whose mind has already been purified, in the sadhaka whose mind has been purified, and in images. Out of his grace, he specially manifests himself. So never think the clay image as clay. It is the spirit, the special manifestation of the Lord is there. It is throbbing, it is vibrating, it is full of life. So that's why Master is saying, but why clay? It's an image of spirit. That's how Ramakrishna used to see the mother of Dakshineshwar. The Dakshineshwar Kali is not Mrindmai, it's Chinmai. When someone used to uh, just say that such and such sculptor sculpture has sculpted the mother's image, Ramakrishna used to get annoyed. That how can a sculpture make the image of God? She is that all consciousness. So she cannot be as such the product of our, uh, what you say, the sculpting. So, But why clay? It's an image of spirit. That's the concept of Archavataram. That's what uh, Ramakrishna is speaking. M could not quite understand the significance of this image of spirit. But sir, he said to the master, one should explain to those who worship the clay image that it is not God and that while worshipping it, They should have God in view and not the clay image. One should not worship clay. Now the master for the last time is crushing his ego. Master sharply. That's the one hobby of you Calcutta people. Giving lectures and bringing others to the light. Nobody ever stops to consider how to get the light himself. Who are you to teach others? He who is the Lord of the universe will teach everyone. He alone teaches us who has created this universe, who has made the sun and moon, men and beasts and all other beings, who has provided means for their sustenance, who has given children, parents and endowed them with love to bring them up. So many things he's saying. The God's love, so that, that in our classes we again and again indicate that the mother's love for the children. Can, does the mother owe that love? It is the God who has given love in the mother's heart, to take care of the children, his own creation. Similarly, the God has given compassion in the realized soul to come down from their realization and teach mankind. There's a, so it is the God's wish he can, he is doing through his chosen disciples. So, but the one who has not realized, he just by his limited intellect, if he thinks that he will just go on explaining others, does that make any sense? It, is, it becomes just like the quarrel of so many people who have not tested the mango, but have heard about the test of mango from someone and have conceptualized with their fertile imagination, the taste of mango. That when a person who really tasted the mango, he came and told a group of people who have not tasted the mango that the mango is sweet and it has a very nice flavor. So one thought that the mango is sweet like uh, jaggery, and it has a, a something smell like the rose. Someone thought they are all conjuring up their ideas. Someone thought no, it's as sweet as honey and it has the flavor of. Uh, say, Jasmine. So like that, there are thousands of opinion, all just thinking that my opinion is correct and fighting with the others. What's the use of that? It's just creating noise. So that's why he's saying that it's all your, it has become your obsession to give lectures. Who are you? The only one who has realized. And after realization also there is a question. Many after realization merges with the divine finding that this world is after all a mere projection, doesn't have any uh, inclination to continue with their life. a few by the will of the divine comes down out of compassion. As Sri Ramakrishna in some other place will give that example. The three friends were passing by the street and they saw a very uh, huge wall. So they somehow managed to get a ladder they were inquisitive inquisitive to know that what's there on the other side of the wall. The one person, one of them got up and he immediately was ecstatic, gave a huge, uh, that cry of laughter. He just had a huge laughter and jumped to the other side. He even didn't have time to relate what he has seen. So the second one, when he was climbing, the third one told that you also don't follow the same uh, fate. Please relate what you see. If you have have to jump, at least say what you relate and then you jump. But he also couldn't wait, couldn't resist. He went to the top and what he saw, he couldn't resist. He was so ecstatic, he jumped on the other side. The third person now, the third friend, he was left alone. He also got up. He also felt like jumping on the other side. But now the thought came, if I jump, there is no one to relate what I have seen to the world, to the people who are staying on the other side of the wall. They don't know that what the mirth of joy is there. So out of compassion, he comes down. When he preaches, he has sinned, he's a realized person. He is the messenger of God. That words do have value. What is the use of the others just simply preaching? So that's why master, in those days, this shows what was going on in the so-called the. The civil society, the civilized society of Calcutta in those days, everywhere in the name of religion, so many movements were going on and everywhere the only religious practice, the only sign of religious practice was there's a lot of lectures were going on and people were thronging to those lectures, attending those lectures with all sorts of peculiar deliberations, explanations, and discussions. That's what's going on. So Sri Ramakrishna, what he says, we find the reflection there of his word. Uh, we find reflection even in Swami Vivekananda's uh, first visit to Ramakrishna. Just before that, he himself, after reading a lot of books, had that disgust, sense of disgust. Is it all, this, all the uh, product of the fertile human imagination? All these so called spiritual uh, doctrines and all, or is there something really called God? So, in those days, as in Calcutta, there were so many spiritual leaders. Narendra Nath, the future Vivekananda, he thought most probably I will get a satisfactory answer at least from one of them. And that's why he was going, to, he was visiting all the spiritual leaders with a question Have you seen God? Those who have read, read that uh, Swami Vivekananda's life, you know. Nowhere he got that answer. Everyone was going to give him explanation. He told, I don't want explanation. I have myself read a lot of explanation. Have you seen God? No one could satisfy him. It's only Ramakrishna, when he came to Ramakrishna, that with assertion he told, yes, I have seen him. And not only that, I see him more clearly than I see you. And the third thing, I can show God to you. What more do you want? So, what he's saying, these words are very, very significant. I see him, I see him more clearly than I see you. Why you more clearly? Because the when we are seeing the world, it is through our mind and senses. It is getting tainted. We are the why the, the sunglass of our mind and senses. But when you when you have realized God. Have gone beyond the mind along Manashagvocharam. For the first time, you are realizing something which is not tainted by your mind and senses. It is totally unadulterated. That's why that's the only, that's our spiritual terms are very interesting. That spiritual realization is called a paroksha All our Anubhuti, all our sensations are paroksha. With the help of mind and senses, I see the things. The spiritual realization is a paroksha. You see, just without the need of any crutch, the mind and senses were like the crutch for you. You needed the support of it. You thought, without that support, there is no existence for me. For the first time, you see that you exist by your own right. That crutch has fallen off. From there, when you come back, that realization is something which is more clear. Without any uh, clouding of your intellect, the intellect is not there. Senses are not there. So simple word, but it has a very, very deep significance. I see more clearly than I see you. I have seen God, but there's a distinction. I see God more clearly than I see you. And there's a way of showing it. There is a process. I can show it to you. So that's the thing. And that's the be all and end all of spiritual journey not those mere discussions. And that's the thing Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. He who is the Lord of the universe will teach everyone. He alone teaches us who has created this universe, who has made the sun and the moon, men and beasts and all other beings. How he teaches us? Now, as for us, all the spiritual knowledge is available. We think That it is the the Guru who has uh, there to teach me. But when for the first time man had the realization, when the religion started, from whom he got the inspiration. So in the Yoga Sutra they say, "Sir purvesham api Guru kalena anava chedat. That the Lord himself is the Adi Guru. He has, you will find that we can never be satisfied with the life, with our urge for pleasure for happiness in this life that urge itself though it is taking us first to the sensual enjoyments you can never be satisfied by that at last you will be disgusted and that same search for happiness is bound to take you to the lord so the lord has devised the plan in the world in such a way he is the ultimate guru even if no guru is there that human urge for getting that unadulterated happiness is bound to take us to that ultimate spiritual realization, even without any help. That urge will come one day, it will take us. That's why, because God has created the creation in that way, you have ultimately to turn around, to taste that divine joy. And that's why he's the ultimate guru. He alone teaches us who has created the universe, who has made the sun and the moon, man and the beasts, and all other beings, who has provided means for their sustenance, who has uh, given children, parents and endowed them, he has provided the means for sustenance. As we were uh, in the last Gita class, we were indicating that in the Gita, when they speak of Yagya, that very nice sequence, they're speaking of that Yagya, what that sometimes we don't understand because we take it in the limited sense that the beings came from food, that all the living beings, we need food, food came from rain rain came from karma uh, from yagya yagya came from karma karma came from the imperishable brahman so sometimes we think that uh, when drought is there there is drought so we have to do some yagya yes in india we found that when drought is there they will be doing yagya that to, with the desire that the with the uh, intention that, that there will be huge rainfall but actual yagya was going on even the human took birth but the real Yaga means interdependence. That once the vegetation came, the plants came, the, a, more than 50% of the evaporation, that's evapotranspirators, the cloud is formed. More than 50% of the cloud is formed by the trees, not the ocean water, not the water bodies, not the cultivated fields. It's the water which is drawn from the deep, from the ground, and again evaporated through the plants that's the cause of rem and that's the yagya that's the real yagya The divine has planned that's why in gita he's uh, god is saying that i am I and the lord of yagya even we before we came that yagya was going on and that's why this when the vegetation everything is there then only we can think of the origin of the human life or any other life which is crawling on this earth he has already created that sustenance it is all his divine plan. So who are you being a mere creature to think that you will be explaining others? So how nicely in this world Sri Ramakrishna is thrashing his ego. With, uh, that he has endowed uh, the parents with the love. The Lord has done so many things. Will he not show people the way to worship him? If they need teaching, then he will be the teacher. He is our inner guide. As we were saying, as the inner guide, without search for the pleasure, is gradually leading us to that ultimate goal. Suppose there is an error in worshipping the clay image. Doesn't God know that through it, he alone is being invoked? He will be pleased with that very worship. Why should you get a headache over it? You had better try for knowledge and devotion yourself. You know, behind all these words, so much of scriptural, uh, this subtleties are there. That does the Lord doesn't know that it is he who is being worshipped when you are worshipping a clay image. Sri Ramakrishna himself in another place gives a nice example. That if a person has five children, the youngest one who is yet to learn, who is yet to develop vocabulary, he just speaks a few words, the others very nicely. Some call father, some call papa, dad, all those things. And this, the small one, the infant who has just learned to walk, he somehow just say one syllable, "pa." Nothing else. Does the father get angry with him? He knows, after all, he is calling him. The same emotion is working. The same love is working for that young one also, though he has not learned the language. So does God doesn't know that? That after all, he is being worshipped through whatever means it may be. In our scripture, there is a very nice idea of Ahang Graha Upasana. It's a very nice idea. That resort to worship in any way you like. As long as the urge uh, is something which is guaranteed, you have the urge. Any mode can take you to the spiritual evolution. What's the idea of Ahangra Upasana? Very nice. With an example, we'll try to understand. Suppose a doctor has four children, three or four children. After his work throughout the day in the hospital, he returns home. He's wearing a white coat. He opens it, keeps it aside. He keeps the stethoscope aside. He opens his shoes. And all these little children, they come running. They come running. One will take the coat, wear it, and move around the house as if he has become the doctor. And one will take the stethoscope and place in other's chest, feigning he is the doctor or she is the doctor. And the the smallest one will come and wear the shoes. The children never wear their own shoes. They will always be wearing their parent's shoes, the big shoes they will wear and move around. As if he has also become the doctor. All want to identify with their father by wearing the coat or by taking the stethoscope or wearing the shoes. These are all childish act. Just by wearing the white coat, you don't become a doctor. Just by keeping the stethoscope in others' chest, you don't become a doctor. Or wearing a doctor's shoes, you don't become a doctor. But the father is happy, very happy. He knows by all these childish acts, all these children are developing a motivation to become a reputed doctor. A very responsible, reputed doctor in future through all these childish acts. So what you're doing is not important. What is the real motivation, the urge behind all those activities? So that way all the rituals are okay. Even the wife need not know the husband's way of worship. The husband need not know the way of uh, wife's uh, worship. That's the concept of Ishta Upashana in our culture. That your Ishta, the way you like you worship, it's all okay. Till you have the unless uh, as long as you have the urge, the real urge for that spiritual evolution, all will lead to the same goal. So, suppose there is an error in worshipping the clay image, doesn't God know that through it He alone is being invoked? He will be pleased with that very worship. Why should you get a headache over it? You had better try for knowledge and devotion yourself. So, that's the things. Ramakrishna is stressing that whatever you believe, with that, have the urge for the knowledge, for the devotion. That alone entails your spiritual evolution. This time M felt that his ego was completely crushed. He now said to himself, yes, he has spoken the truth. What need is there for me to teach others? Have I known God? Do I really love him? I haven't room enough for myself in my bed and I'm inviting my friend to share it with me. I know nothing about God, yet I am trying to teach others. What a shame, how foolish I am. This is not mathematics or history or literature that one can teach it to others. No, this is the deep mystery of God. What he says appeals to me. So gradually he's getting drawn towards the master. So this shows the humbleness of M that he really has some substance. Some other might have, after this rebuke, might have never visited him again. He, al- he had that substance to really realize the worth of those words and be humbled. This was M's first argument with the master and happily his last. So this, after that, we find that Master uh, this M is uh, has accepted the master as the friend, philosopher, and guide who is going to lead him to the the goal which he is hankering for. The master, you were talking of worshiping the clay image. Even if the image is made of clay, there is need for that sort of worship. God himself has provided different forms of worship. He who is the Lord of the universe has arranged all these forms to suit different men in different stages of knowledge. And then he gives, Ramakrishna gives a nice example, that very common example. The mother cooks different dishes to suit the stomach of her different children. Suppose she has five children. If there is a fish to cook, she prepares various dishes from it. pilau, pickled fish, fried fish, and so on, to suit the different tests and power of digestion. Test and power of digestion. The Test for a particular spiritual path, and that also power of di- according to the digestion. So if you go, if you are initiated and ask Guru how much time I should do japa, he will say at least 108. He won't say do a thousand times or something. At least he knows that at the very beginning, if I keep some very big uh, goal, that will derange my mind, nothing else. Just the way the one who is going to the gymnasium for the first time and seeing other just using the dumbbell, just fletching flinch, flinch, his muscle with the dumbbell for hundred times and tries to imitate, what will happen? The muscle will simply, uh, uh, the, the, there will be a cramp and he will be uh, hurting himself, he'll be injuring. He has to develop the strength gradually. So here also the power. Some may have a weak digestion, mother will not give him something strong to eat. It They will give uh, something light so in spiritual journey, we find the challenges increases the more we evolve in spiritual life. Because God also increases the challenges gradually as per your capability to bear with it. So sometimes we, we say that when someone is, has evolved so much, why should he go through the, all the challenges? The God actually as a blessing give those challenges. Because that is the way we can quickly get detachment. But he won't give the challenges to a person who is not up to it. That's why Swamiji used to say, If you are facing a lot of challenges in life, take it as a blessing. That God somehow have understood that you can deal with it. You can deal with it and Grow, uh, outgrow yourself from all the challenges because that's the only way of detachment. There's a story uh, in the of this Krishna's life which appears apparently appears to be very rude, but it's fixed. It speaks something wonderful that Krishna in the disguise, along with Arjuna, went for begging. One day, the first house they went is a rich man's house. They went and they asked for some alms. The rich man just abused them, verbally abused, and asked them to just move out, get out. While going away, Krishna blessed that person, that you be more wealthy, be more, uh, uh, have more name and fame, be uh, more wealthy, he blessed him. Arjuna thought, okay, God, after all, is compassionate, he blessed him. After that they went to a very poor person's house, peasant's house, poor peasant. he has only one son, wife has passed away, he's very poor. He invited he that poor man invited whatever meals they they had they shared with uh, this uh, Krishna and Arjuna in disguise and while uh, living apparently for no reason, Krishna became very angry and he cursed him, that your son will die Arjuna was baffled, he never understood what, what, what's going on. and when uh, Arjuna came out and asked out of surprise that why that the previous man he never in no way showed us respect, he was abused us and you blessed him and this poor person so devoted. So nicely he served us and suddenly for no reason you got angry and you cursed him. And what God told is something it may really, because we are also so attached to the world, it may appear to be very harsh, but it speaks something. If you take it that way, it speaks something wonderful. He says that the, he's already highly evolved, spiritually evolved, that his son is the only last bondage. I want to take it away. In spiritual life, they say God is the most jealous God. In the Bible, they say that God, when you say I love God, he's very jealous. He will make sure your love is not in any way uh, shared by others. He's very jealous. So the more you grow spiritually, sometimes you find the challenges are increasing, but sometimes it can be a blessing. Just with a story, I will end today's story, uh, class. You know, when uh, I, I joined in some center in India, and there one lady from America was staying there uh, in the center to, uh, just to serve. She was doing her own spiritual practice and was serving. She was quite old, very nice lady. Very, uh, what you say, always in wonderful behavior, motherly attitude. So we all as Brahmacharis also used to, felt very free with her. So nice she was. And suddenly she fell ill. She was quite old and she had to be hospitalized. And when she was in hospital, she she understood that she is not going to live long, that uh, the death is nearing. So then suddenly she had that intense uh, urge to meet her daughter. The daughter was in states, so she some somehow in those days mobile was not there. She just asked us, requested us, can you arrange a phone call? So we uh, uh, somehow arranged the phone, for her a phone call. She called her daughter. But the daughter was quite rude. She told, you left us for years together. You never uh, remembered us. And now suddenly you're asking me to come over to India. It's not possible. See, if we were not spiritually evolved, it would have shattered us. Just I know I'm going to die. And this is the last response I'm getting from my daughter. It would have shattered. But that lady was really quite evolved. Calmly she kept the phone. And she, how nicely she, that we still remember what it's wonderful remark she told, that be, that before my death, God is taking away my last attachment. <laughs> so that's the wonderful way, she remarked. So God has his own way. We don't know. So it is he who is taking care of us in what way he will crush our ego and uh, take us to the, the spiritual journey. We've forward. We don't know the apparent challenges of life may really prove to be blessing if we have the proper perspective proper vision to see it and that's what his master is indicating so we will continue with the discussion again in the next class with this we stop our discussion today thank you all namaskas